Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hi, everybody. Jamie here. Hope everyone is well. Uh, so as you know, we here at the Bechtelcast are thrilled to bring you movie discussions every week and continue to keep learning with you and learning from you. Uh, but we also often get questions about uh, how to help and contribute outside of the content that our show covers. So I just wanted to take a second to quickly recommend uh, seeking out projects in your community and getting involved, especially as we approach election season. Ah, we know that it is not safe for everyone to participate IRL in the middle of a pandemic, of course, but it is really all about finding ways that you're able and comfortable to participate. There's been a number of incredible mutual aid organizations that have developed and expanded in recent months. There's an increased need to assist in areas with increasing rates of people experiencing homelessness in the summer heat, uh, ongoing grocery delivery services for folks and seniors unable to get to the store amid the pandemic. There's local progressive candidates that you can help phone bake for from your own home if you're not comfortable leaving home and on and on and on. It is a very stressful time, and it can be difficult to find a place to start, but we encourage you to. So, talk with your friends, find mutual aid efforts in your area by checking out mutualaidhub.org, and find where you fit. We're always here for support, and we love you, so let's do this. Enjoy the show! On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Okay. Uh, Jamie, do you want to start this episode? I was going to, but then I couldn't remember a line from any of the songs. Do you remember any oh, of the songs? Yes. <laughs> They've been stuck in my head, and it's very annoying. Okay, so when the North Wind. <laughs> The sea. <laughs> <laughs> um okay I, I got i've got one i got one I'm, this is gonna be good on this episode we are going into the unknown, <laughs> into the unknown. <laughs> into the unknown. <laughs> oh, no disrespect to idina menzel <laughs> They just make her belt so much. They make her mm-hmm. belt so through so much plot 
in this movie. Right. Truly. Uh, Olaf doesn't make me laugh, but that scene when he just started, ah, that right. genuinely made me like, laugh. I'm there with you. I'm there with you. <laughs> so this is, hello, welcome to the Bechtel cast, everyone. Um, this is our movie podcast in which we examine film through an intersectional feminist lens. Spoiler alert, most movies do not fare well. We took inspiration from the Bechtel test, and that, of course, is a media metric designed by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel that, for our purposes, requires that two people of any marginalized gender who have names Mm -hmm. speak to each other about something other than a man. And as as we just talked about in a Twitter exchange today, they should also both be on screen. In general. That is helpful if they are on screen. Yes. If it's a disembodied voice, perhaps, um, maybe that doesn't count. Sometimes, you know, I mean, it's case to case. But generally, you know, it does seem like in most cases, it's the least you could do. And ties into the whole idea of uh, visibility involves Mm. being visible. Uh, (laughs) I bravely True. said. <laughs> wow. Incredible. Thank you. <laughs> so today we are covering Frozen 2. We have a wonderful guest with us. She is the founder of the Ayla Test on Tumblr. It's Ali Nadi. Hello. Hi. Welcome. How's it going? Good. How are you? Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> I think uh, it's funny because you guys invited me based on my thread, I think, on Twitter about Pocahontas. And I was like, you know yes. what? I'd rather talk about something I enjoy <laughs> I don't enjoy Pocahontas. <laughs> Frozen 2. Uh, so what is what is your relationship with Frozen 2, with the Frozen franchise, all of that? So um, I hated the first movie, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, I think it's because... I was not in the target audience, you know, Mm -hmm. it certainly wasn't made for me. Um, But all of my friends really liked it. So I went and saw it and was like, really? This is what you guys were talking about? You know, like, wasn't very impressed. Um, So I, when I found out about a Frozen 2, I was like, I don't know if it's going to be any good. And then the more information that came out about Frozen 2, I'm like, oh, tell me more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then um, I saw it and I did not expect to like it as much as I did. It easily is probably one of my favorite Disney movies Mm, now. mm -hmm. It's like, wow, I I can't wait to talk about it in this podcast (laughs) because wow, there's just so much to unpack, especially uh, with an indigenous lens um, that I don't think too many people have talked about. Yeah, not yeah. from what I found in any like articles written and things like that. So yeah, at best it's been it was like a passing reference in reviews, but nothing that was actually really examined. I don't know. It was kind of like surprisingly difficult for a movie that came out last year to find like solid written indigenous perspectives on this movie. Right. <laughs> and, and speaking of, tell us about the Ayla test. So I came up with the Ayla test um, when I was living overseas. So I lived in Finland uh, for about two years from like 2016 to 2018. Mm -hmm. And around that time was when Standing Rock was happening. 
Mm -hmm. And um, I was so far away anyways from my family and my friends and everything and from any really indigenous Native American mm -hmm. person, you know, because there are indigenous people in Finland, but, mm -hmm. you know, and I remember watching like the, um, the live streams and everything that was going on in Standing Rock and feeling, you know, terrified that this could escalate into like a third wounded knee, you know, mm -hmm. but also wondering, you know, what can I do? I can't physically be there and I'm in another country, you know, what's something I can do? Cause I'm not a, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a historian. I'm not really an activist in that sense. And I remember this film that I watched before I moved to Finland it was uh, made in 2013. It's called Rhymes for Young Ghouls. Mm -hmm. And it was so different from any indigenous movie I had watched before. The main character, played by Davery Jacobs, her name is Ayla. Mm -hmm. And I just saw so much in that character that I had never seen before in a Native woman on screen. You know, she mm -hmm. was played by an indigenous actress. She was on a reserve, it dealt with a period in time in Canada that was very traumatic, that is not discussed at all about residential schools and, you know, forced assimilation and, mm -hmm. you know, and I went into the film, Rhymes for Young Ghouls, expecting her to die, really, because mm -hmm. that's usually what happens mm -hmm. to Native women. Mm -hmm. You know, that's unfortunate, but she survives all of it like all of it she's the main character she wasn't some white guy's girlfriend she didn't end up raped she doesn't get killed i mean and she faces some brutality and some really heavy scenes but mm -hmm. she makes it to the end she survives and it was just that film really truly touched me so when i went to see other um movies you know other indigenous films and I specifically was looking for, you know, Native women and their roles in these films, I noticed how many were not like Ayla in those regards. Mm -hmm. So in order to kind of contribute something, you know, in light of Standing Rock, it's like, you know, there's going to be a lot of Native people who are going through a really tough time right now. Maybe this is something fun or something a little lighter that we can kind of talk about because sure. I noticed it hadn't really been discussed in a lot of feminist circles mm -hmm. when it came to film and media representation. So I came up mm -hmm. with Ayla Test and like the Bechdel Test, because it was inspired by it, she has to be an indigenous woman who is mm -hmm. the main character. Mm -hmm. And by indigenous, I mean she could be Native American, First Nations, Sami, Maori, Polynesian, Mm -hmm. Ainu, you know, any of those indigenous groups, but she had to be the main character who wasn't a white guy's girlfriend, just does mm -hmm. not fall in love with a white man mm -hmm. and doesn't end up raped or murdered at any point in the story. And by mm -hmm. murdered, I also mean like killed or dies, you know, on screen. Sure. So, And uh, so many don't pass, but... <laughs> The ones that do, you know, the test is like, hey, you know, check out these movies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the test also has its limitations because you can pass the Ayla test and be a great character, but you can pass the Ayla test and not 
be a great character either and there are several characters who don't pass who are like yikes but there are several who pass who are actually really awesome so Mm -hmm. it's just a conversation starter not necessarily if you don't pass you fail and you're awful (laughs) it's just (laughs) right which is how we approach the Bechdel test as well so yeah I'm, I'm so glad that that conversation is is being helped along with this test though thank you for inventing it Oh, yeah. thank you. <laughs> thank you to Jeff Barnaby for making the movie and Davery Jacobs for being Ayla because, mm. wow, <laughs> changed my life. Yeah. It's on my list Amazing. of things to watch. I yeah. Um, yeah, we should cover it on the show. Come back. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and we, um, not long ago, learned of, of the Ayla test and mm-hmm. mentioned it for the first time on a on a recent episode that we covered on The Witch with yes. guest uh, Janice Schmeeting, and she uh, had been the one to make us aware of your test. So we the were witch excited to learn about it. The Black Philip Goat. Which, yes, the oh, the Vavitch. Yeah. I saw that I saw that movie in Finland, and it scared the hell out of me because I lived next door to a uh, cemetery. So I'm like, <gasps> oh my god, a <laughs> uh, movie that certainly does not pass the Ayla test. <laughs> Goodness gracious, it is horrifying. <laughs> yeah, it is a terrifying one. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, so, uh, Jamie, what is your relationship with Frozen Two? Uh, I hadn't seen it yet. I mean, I came to the Frozen franchise by being a substitute gym teacher, uh, (laughs) which I think I talked about on our last Frozen episode, where it was like the only way to get a child to do what you needed them to do was to say that you would play Let It Go if they did it Mm -hmm. in in a few span of years. Um, So, yeah, I really only know the franchise as it pertains to this show, really. I I didn't see this movie... um, when it came out, the conversation around this movie, I, it was like um, kind of strange. And like, I feel like m- that what I would generally heard was like, it's not what you expect. And, and like, and it wasn't what I was expecting either. I, it was, I think the more I researched this movie, the more I liked it. There was when I, on first viewing, I was kind of confused. I, and I still am confused in some ways, but um, I wasn't quite <laughs> sure what they were trying to do and like what history they were referencing. And once I had a better idea of the history that they were <laughs> referencing, it made way more sense to me. I wish the movie did a little more legwork in letting you know what they're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I have so much, to, we have so much to talk about. I yes. really hope that my uh, insight, like my lens into this movie offers some clarification because I knew exactly what they were talking about and was just like, Ooh. wow, <laughs> you know, so <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Yes, I'm really excited. I, I mean, I knew nothing about particularly indigenous cultures in this region. I knew less than nothing and then the more I found out down to like the very specific reference of a dam being destroyed and like the center of a huge conflict is like a reference based in his it was Disney was doing uh better work than I expected them to they <laughs> they did homework imagine um so I'm excited to talk about it what, what about yeah. you Caitlin what's your history with this franchise um I saw Frozen 2 in theaters when it came out I see most Disney movies in theaters, including the 
live action reboots, which are never good, but I keep seeing them anyway. I don't know why. Who who knows who likes those movies? It has to be someone. <laughs> they all make a billion dollars, but like I guess children. Um, but yes. Other than that, like I tend to like most Disney properties and franchises uh, against my sometimes better judgment and against, despite knowing how evil of a corporation Disney is. But when it comes to Frozen, I can kind of take it or leave it. I wasn't attached to the first one. Yeah. The second one I liked better, but I felt like the story was pretty muddled. I like the songs, though. I like the animation. Overall, I thought it was pretty good. I definitely liked the second one better than the first one. My leagues. My leagues. Yeah. <laughs> the, the first one, I mean, and I guess you can refer back to our first episode about it if you're a listener that hasn't heard that one, but it's so like feminism 101 of our time mm-hmm. that it it was a little bit like, all right, Disney, like... We're making very, very slow progress here, aren't we? Um, <laughs> right. They're like, what if sisters like each other in- instead? <laughs> well, and this movie does that in little bits where they're like, this time the like male character is obsessed with the idea of marriage. And you're like, I don't really know what if, if, if that's a helpful subversion, but <laughs> sure. <laughs> I have a theory. Have Ooh. either of you seen... Um, the 90s dub of Sailor Moon. Yes, yes. You know how um, Sailor Uranus and Sailor Neptune were cousins because they couldn't Uh let them be gay? Yes. I think Anna and Elsa are sisters. Because in that first movie, I'm sorry, they were super gay. And I'm like, (laughs) I I have two sisters. We don't act like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there there was a lot of discussion about Elsa's character being kind of queer coded or at least like interpreted as queer by the queer community mm-hmm. uh, or at least certain members of the queer community. So, um, and some coverage around, I think some of the, there's always, because it's such a huge franchise, there's always a, a lot of criticism and, and think pieces surrounding it. And there was another influx of think pieces questioning why they won't explicitly say that Elsa is a queer character um in frozen 2 as well and they but yeah it's kind of the classic disney like she's single she's single and it's like can Mm -hmm. we let her be queer the answer with disney as always (laughs) is no um yeah (sighs) anyway well let's should we dive into the story and then go from there let's do it all right so we open on elsa and anna as children Mm -hmm. their father Agnar, voiced by Jamie, would you do the honors? Alfred Molina, <laughs> my king. <laughs> oh, it was very exciting to hear. I think he has maybe the like one of the first spoken lines of dialogue after the kids are talking a little, and then you hear like he is not doing a voice; he is just speaking as Alfred Molina. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god! And then you see, I was kind of a little bumped at the how they animated him to look. It kind of looks like the, like, what, it's like King, just a picture of, like, uh, what is it, like, called in video games where it's just, like, the stock player? Like, if you did Google image cartoon King, that's kind of what the King looks like. Sure. I think he should look like King Alfred Molina, but, um, (laughs) but yes, it was exciting. Also, he's married to Evan Rachel Wood in this movie, which you're like, all right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) 
who's like my age. She's like she sure a year younger than me or something. <laughs> and Alfred Molina's in his 60s. The Confusing. magic of animation. <laughs> <laughs> so King Agnar comes into the children's room and tells them about this enchanted forest whose magic was protected by powerful spirits of air, fire, water, and earth. Mm. And it was also home to the Northaldra people and the girl's grandfather, King... King Colonizer. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He had built the Northaldra people a dam, but then things took a turn between the two groups and the king's men were attacked, or so we are led to believe. But a mysterious girl saves young Agnar during this outbreak of violence. And the fighting enraged the spirits, which uh, vanished. And then a powerful mist covered this forest, which has been there ever since. And the girls, Anna and Elsa, are like, oh no, will the forest ever wake again? And the parents are like, I don't know. And then their mother says, only Atahalan knows. Um, which is a river that is said to hold all the answers to the past. I will say that the children's reaction to this very violent story is a little insensitive. Uh, they're like, <laughs> Thanksgiving, awesome story. Yeah, that's true. They're like, oh, cool story. And then it's you're like, was that a cool story? Um, <laughs> for them, it was. Then we cut to Elsa and Anna as adults. And Elsa hears this kind of angelic voice singing somewhere in the distance and it seems to be calling to her and she says hmm maybe I should follow it into the unknown <laughs> I'm gonna stop singing because I truly have the worst and then she be- the worst she singing belts. voice yes which I cannot do give the people what they want <laughs> and then there's this um kind of elemental disturbance because Elsa woke up the spirits. I keep wanting to call them the earth, wind, and fire, and water <laughs> spirits. It does. Every time you hear it, it, you're like, you sort of are feeling like you're watching an episode of Avatar The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. And in this story, <laughs> Elsa is Avatar. Is the Avatar. <laughs> yes. Elsa is also uh, the fifth element starring Bruce Willis. Yes. Yeah. There, there's a lot of movies. Multipass. Yeah. <laughs> Corbin Dallas. So, okay, so the the spirits have been awakened and everyone has to evacuate Arendelle, the kingdom where Anna and Elsa live. And then the stone trolls from the first movie show up and their leader is like, "Hey, um there there's some a wrong from the past has to be corrected. There's some truth that needs to be uncovered about the past." So Elsa it's like, okay, we have to go to the Enchanted Forest and find the voice and figure out what happened. So she, Anna, Kristoff, and Olaf, and Sven the Reindeer. Sven the Reindeer. All of her favorite characters um, set off toward the forest. After a little bit of traveling, they come upon what I can only describe as the Shimmer from Annihilation. Oh, um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> what? The you know like the shimmer from the movie Annihilation oh, that they have to like yes. pass through yes kind of that's, that's also in this movie yeah <laughs> and it's this dense mist that they have to pass through to get into the enchanted forest mm-hmm. and once they're inside the spirits show up they re- start to reveal some clues about 
the past, some of the memories of the past. Um, Elsa manages to tame a couple of them. And then suddenly a group of Northaldra people and a small number of Arendellian soldiers show up. Including Sterling K. Brown. Oh my gosh. I had no idea he was the voice of that character until I watched the six-part docu-series on the making of Frozen 2 on Disney+, Plus, which uh, was a waste of time but <laughs> <laughs> to watch. But that is, it was helpful in that I learned um, that Sterling K. Brown, one of my crushes, what is in this movie. Well, we both have a crush in the movie. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> Alfred and Sterling. Oh, cute. So all these people show up and they've been trapped in this mist the whole time, which we find out was like, th- has been over 34 years. Right. Which I was, I was like, and then I was like, wait, how old are Anna and Elsa? Are we supposed, do we know? Are they over 30? Is that, is that legal in a Disney movie? I don't think so because the, uh, the king, their dad was a little boy. Oh, at that okay. time. So, so they're, yeah, they're Okay classic disney right. they're like no 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 we can't have a woman over 25 well that's the thing is because even canonically in this movie six years have passed uh because they were mm. repeatedly referencing for reasons that i sort of found to be a bit much but they kept referencing the amount of time between the first frozen movie and the second one which is six years <laughs> right but somehow elsa and anna are still mm, 20 <laughs> the same age yes question mark <laughs> All these people have converged in the mist now, and um, Olaf gives us a nice little recap of the plot of Frozen 1 for, for everyone. <laughs> that's a, that's a, there are multiple points in this movie where I'm like, okay, you're obsessed with the first movie. The first movie was fine. I don't want to talk about it. Was it though? <laughs> Let's move on. Like, it was like, whatever. <laughs> like, it's so... But then, yeah, Josh Gad has to recap the whole damn thing. Mm-hmm. Which I did kind of enjoy, that part. Sterling so. K. Brown um, reacts very funny when he's like, oh, no. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty cute. So then the North Aldra people are like, by the way, we are innocent. We did not initiate this attack. We would have never attacked first. And then a guy who Anna recognizes as Lieutenant Matthias voiced by Sterling K. Brown, who was their father's guard, says, well, we wouldn't have attacked first either. He wasn't suspicious of the colonizer, really? Exactly. That is <laughs> right. my favorite. Okay, this movie is very funny to me because they have to go on this ent- this whole journey to uncover the truth about the past. And it it's can like, be solved so quickly. It's just like, just look at the variables. You have indigenous people and you have white colonizers. And a wrong was made. What do you think happened based on all of history? Well, like, why if do you the have to go? The history isn't told. <laughs> they probably they probably learned a very you know whitewashed version of history. So I you're mean, right. Yeah. They're full on. I was hoping. I mean, you know, it's not going to happen because it's like Disney. But by the end, I'm like, oh, they, this could be a great chance for Elsa and Anna to become like anti-imperialists and really like be like abolish the monarchy which of course burn down their castle they do the opposite well, they kind of do because at the end uh, it's uh two indigenous people uh as the king and the queen so it's like well i mean captain colonizers in hell mad about that i'm sure i hope so <laughs> god i hope grandma's so. pissed about that in hell <laughs> right because is christoph indigenous as well yeah he's sami okay yeah that's what i thought so so then the um the fire spirit attacks all the people. The little Charmander. Yeah, yeah I'm like, like, no. <laughs> it is a little Charmander. They're very cute. They act like puppies. And then Anna and Elsa figure out that the 
girl who saved their father's life in the forest that day many years ago was their mother, who they also discover is Northaldra, which means that Anna and Elsa are half Northaldra. Then a Northaldra woman, Honeymarin, tells Elsa that in addition to air, fire, water, and earth spirits, there is a fifth spirit that acts as a bridge between humans and the magic of nature. The Avatar. Which, yeah. (laughs) So then Elsa and Anna head north to find the voice that's been singing to Elsa. They come upon a shipwreck, the shipwreck that killed their mother and father, and in it they find a map to Atahalan, the river that is said to hold all the memories from the past. Mm. Um, Because it's real, they discover, um, not just legend. And they figure out that their mother speculated that Atahalan is the source of Elsa's ice magic. So Elsa sets off for Atahalan, uh, and not wanting to put her sister in danger, she kind of sends Anna and Olaf away on this like ice to boat. Be, that okay, she makes. this is one part of the movie where I was like, "Oh my god!" She sends them down an icy slope at like 500 miles an hour. I was like, she's going to accidentally murder her sister. She's like putting her in even more danger. Right. Which also happens in the first movie. Like she, she conjures up that giant like snowman that like almost kills Anna. She's constantly putting her sister in danger. For for like the big sisterhood franchise. (laughs) Elsa sometimes really goes in on, I'm like, I am also not a huge Anna fan, but I wouldn't push yeah. her down a hill. A big sister absolutely would. But like, <laughs> Get out of here. One, two, three. <laughs> that was, I was like, oh. <laughs> Intense. Yeah. And then, spoiler alert, Olaf dies. Not directly because of that, but he dies later. He gets Thanos snapped. <laughs> he literally, that was such a, I was just like, all right, plot. I guess it. I guess it is the end of the second act, isn't it? And he was. It was so vague. He was like, "My flakes, my magical flakes." I'm flurrying. I don't want to go, Mr. Stark. And he's like, "Hug me." <laughs> I don't want to go. Anna. My flakes. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's, and I know. I mean, we're obviously not the target demo, but it just like it couldn't be clearer that there's going to be zero consequence for this. So it is kind of funny to watch him go like, not my flakes. And then his flakes are gone. I don't know. His flakes are gone. He dandrips yeah. into oblivion. Uh, meanwhile, um, Elsa tames the water spirit, which comes in the form of a horse. And she rides it to Atahalan. Um, and then she sees all the answers to the past and discovers that her grandfather, King Colonizer, was like, magic is scary and the North Aldra people follow magic so they can't be trusted. And that he had built this dam that he had given under the pretense of it being like a gift of peace. He actually built it to weaken their land and that it was him who initiated the attack against the North Aldra people. Mm-hmm. But Elsa has gone too deep into Atahalan, and she starts to freeze. She's able to use her magic to send the memory to Anna. Anna is lost in a cave with Olaf, uh, and then she, upon seeing the memory, knows what she has to do to set things right, which is to break the dam, which will flood Arendelle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then that's when Olaf dies because Elsa is dying and her magic is fading. Something about his flakes happens. Something about his flurries. Flurried and then 
And then Anna sings a song that I thought was like very impactful. And I liked about how like she is acknowledging the like deep irreparable harm that her ancestors have done. She wants to do the next right thing. And you're like, oh, Anna's really coming into her own. I've been waiting for this character to have like more agency for ever this is so exciting and then two seconds later mm-hmm. she gets rescued uh by right. <laughs> stuff i will say though uh <laughs> not to go too deep but my mom uh passed away in september mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that song anna sings just like hits so hard uh, you know yeah. as far as like doing the next right thing and everything i'm like oh i love this movie but it hurts me so it's beautiful yeah it is good yeah that was my favorite song in the movie i think uh show yourself Mm -hmm. is mine but that was my second favorite i like christoph's like 80 cheesy 80s rock ballad (laughs) i think that was my favorite it's really good it wasn't bad but it was there you know it's like kind of strange much like christoph's entire plot in this movie it's just kind of there i don't know why he necessarily even needs to be there There couldn't be a more pointless (laughs) song but it is like i don't know i'm just like i like to hear jonathan groff sing I'll take it, mm-hmm. I guess. But it is, does it have a place in the movie? I don't know. <laughs> Question mark. So then Anna lures the earth giants who are roaming the land toward the dam and they destroy it, which unfreezes Elsa um, because history has been made right. And <laughs> according to the movie, and this causes all the water to cascade toward Arendelle, but Elsa manages to kind of get ahead of it and freezes it to save Arendelle because, again, she is the um, fifth She's the spirit. Avatar. Fifth element. Yeah. The fifth element. <laughs> she is the deus ex machina. The deus ex machina was inside the house the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then the mist lifts from the forest and everyone who was trapped inside is now free. Elsa and Anna reunite. There's much rejoicing. Anna is made queen of Arendelle, and then Elsa decides to join the Northaldra and look after the forest. And that is the end of the movie. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come right back to discuss. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. Ali, is there anything that jumps out to you right away of like stuff you'd really, really like to discuss? Oh, okay. So for those of you who cannot see me, um, I'm Anishinaabe and uh, I'm biracial. 
the um, reservation my family is from is the Wapul Island Reservation in Canada. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mother is a white woman. And my father is Anishinaabe. So I'm biracial. I'm very white passing. And as someone who did not like the first Frozen movie, I was so stunned that Elsa especially suddenly became this character that I personally kind of felt represented by mm -hmm. as a white passing assimilated indigenous woman because although my father is you know of a darker hue I guess a darker skin tone mm -hmm. than I am mm -hmm. he was assimilated because his mother and his auntie were um residential school survivors so mm. they had their culture denied to them mm -hmm. you know they couldn't speak their own language they had no culture they were taken from their family mm. and um, my grandmother and her auntie her sister had to actually leave the reservation like they ran away mm. to michigan mm. and that's where we live now and you know they uh, she married a um a white man who was my dad's father so um in order to survive really i mean you have to assimilate especially back then i you know this was during world war ii this was you know like mm -hmm. all throughout i think grandma was born in like 1917 i think okay. and she died in 1990 so this is an entire century more or less of mm -hmm. you know you cannot really embrace who you are as a native woman because you can be killed you can be imprisoned you know mm -hmm. and um i think her name is iduna the elsa's mother yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know that character really truly spoke to me you know as an indigenous woman because the conceal don't feel don't let them know thing that elsa you know, sings about in the first movie isn't just about her magic now. It is about her identity and her family and her bloodline. And it's like, you know, her mother knew that kind of pain she must have been going through because she was, she couldn't go home. Mm -hmm. You know, she may not have ran away from home, but she could never return. And this was her life now. And if the uh, Arendellian people didn't like the Nathaldra people, you know, she's not going to announce that, oh, I'm Nathaldra. She's going to keep that to herself mm -hmm. and raise her daughters the best way that she can, you know, and that would be to assimilate, to look like, you know, the oppressor, I right, suppose. Right. So Elsa really coming to terms with this, you know, something, it wasn't just the magic. It wasn't just keeping that part hidden inside. It's like, there's something deeper than that. There's something that, you know, I feel out of place. I feel like there's a disconnect. I, you know, I may look like these people and my sister may, you know, be able to live among them a bit easier than I do, but, you know, I, feel like something is missing and I want to know what that is and mm -hmm. for her Disney to make it indigenous heritage like oh this is your family history this is your mother's people these are this is your community and your culture and that sense of belonging and healing you know that's really really powerful mm -hmm. and uh, I am you know I'm white passing I'm trying to reconnect I've I up until like I don't know, I want to say a couple years ago, 
I didn't think I had any surviving relatives on my dad's side. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought we didn't have any cousins. We didn't have any aunts and uncles. You know, we had no idea. And recently I discovered when I went to uh, the reservation for a powwow Mm -hmm. that there are so many different, you know, cousins and relatives and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, you know, I brought my family tree and they're like, oh, that guy, he's Kayash. Oh, that one, he's Nadi. That one's, you know what I mean? And I'm like, and then they started looking at the family tree and it's like, we had common ancestors and common relatives and stuff. So that reconnection to family and to culture when it has been like, forcibly taken away from you and denied to you I mean Frozen 2 really spoke to that part you know for yeah. me anyways so that's amazing that's great that's so oh, it was that's so cool I know I really like this movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is I mean this is honestly giving me a whole new perspective on the the themes that this movie is speaking to I mean going into this movie I was honestly confused at the beginning like I understood the choice they were trying to make I was like I don't know you know it's impossible because you know like I've certainly been brought up on such a warped version of history and I'm still in the process of trying to unlearn shit and not just unlearn stuff but then learn the correct version of you know what actually happened it's like a really powerful and ambitious theme in this movie to show that to children to show that like the version of history you're presented with is very likely not accurate and that it is like kind of your responsibility in in a way to to Mm -hmm. seek out that truth and to find it and then on top of that uh something that I think I was like in the middle of the movie I was like whoa this is like a pretty like bold choice for such a gigantic franchise the only villain in this movie is their past like there is no in the first one it's who is that guy the like you know whatever Hans. oh Hans, Hans. Yeah. right the, and and so in the first one it's like they are subverting it by the twist and blah 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 but like in this it's like their heritage and their like their ties to colonialism is the villain of the movie. It's like a, it's an evil that you, you, I guess you sort of see through like the memory of the grandfather, but for the most part, it is just like something that they need to reckon with. And that is, I mean, that's holy shit. Yeah. Especially cause like when, when Anna learns, learns the truth about how her grandfather initiated the attack and that he, had built the dam deliberately to oppress the indigenous people and how, you know, and Anna says something like, well, that goes against everything that Arendelle stands for. And it's like, well, sure. Like Arendelle might masquerade as this like, you know, righteous place, but like, no, that's not how colonization works. Um, Right. (laughs) I think it can also be kind of viewed as like a meta commentary on like Disney properties as a whole of like Mm -hmm. here is this like magical kingdom that you've always been presented to this like very whitewashed magical place like and what is being erased and what is being mistaught to you because that is i mean that's been disney's bag for a long fucking time is teaching you Mm -hmm. and glorifying and making uh making it profitable to to show you false versions of of history usually american history (laughs) but it's kind of a free-for-all with them Mm mm-hmm I think the thing that actually surprised me um, when I first saw Frozen 2, because I'll send it to you guys on Twitter. It was like my 
live tweeting responses. It's like, all right, guys, I'm watching Frozen 2 for the first time, and here's mm -hmm. my reaction in real time mm -hmm. as I'm watching it, you know? Mm -hmm. So when they're singing that one song at the beginning, and it's not Thanksgiving, but it is Thanksgiving. Right. You know, like they're having a harvest feast uh -huh. or whatever and i'm thinking i'm watching it i'm like are they really having thanksgiving in sweden because um <laughs> you know yeah. i'm like because and then at the end of the movie when they show uh captain colonizer and he's all like we're gonna invite them in peace and we're gonna see what they're you know how many there are and what their strength is i was like thanksgiving mm -hmm. because thanksgiving was not a happy feast it was a massacre right of indigenous people so the fact that disney did that i was like wow mm -hmm. that never happens and i you know what i mean like never that never happens and that was so it was subtle enough where i think a kid may have not quite connected the dots mm -hmm. but i did yeah. <laughs> so, yeah i think one of the i guess okay maybe i'm like I don't know. I'm probably always asking too much of a Disney movie. I kind of wish that that they had just let if they if we already knew, you know, and they and the movie goes out of its way to say, well, there's no one in Arendelle right now. It's just it's empty. It's been evacuated. I kind of wish that they had just flooded it. <laughs> is that is that start over? But I, yeah, I, like symbolically, <laughs> I'm like maybe that's a little Game of Thrones of me to to want. <laughs> But I, but I mean, it fits the. I kind of wish they had just said, you know, fuck it. I think um, with that one, because a lot of people felt the same way. And I didn't just because I was thinking, you know, problematic element of this movie is that, you know, they blame it all on just this one specific person. Right. You know, and not like an actual government. Mm -hmm. Like the one guy who wanted to be the colonizer, mm -hmm. the people for the most part didn't really seem to know what was happening, you know, cause the girls didn't even know who the Nathaldra really were anyway. Right. So I feel like if they were, you know, the person who already did this horrible thing is already dead, right. you know, he gets killed in the battle anyway. Mm -hmm. So that part is already like, you know, avenged, but it's not just that, you know, it's, you have to, not only correct history, but, you know, put in the work to make sure, you know, the harm that's already been done can't be undone, but how you go forward with it is the important part. So you get rid of the dam, which is causing all of this trauma and all of this destruction to the environment mm -hmm. that directly still hurts the indigenous people living on it. Mm -hmm. And to destroy the dam and then flood out Arendelle and destroy it. I feel like maybe the spirits were like, you know, this is only going to make those people hate us more mm -hmm. that their queen just destroyed their home, you know? So yeah, sure. that makes sense. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, I really don't think these people are going to be all that okay with, Oh, but you know, the colonialism is like, yeah, but now my house is underwater. 
Right. <laughs> right. Like that's gonna make shit worse, you know, probably and build more well, tension. Less so it's like, right. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like, all right, so we're gonna put you on the throne instead and they're gonna love you and then I'm gonna stay here and we're gonna build relations and there you go. <laughs> Happy ending. And it's very simplified, but it's a kid's movie and they handled it a lot better than they did in Pocahontas. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, right. God. <laughs> So do you feel overall that the representation of indigenous people and indigenous culture was handled responsibly and respectfully in this film? So disclaimer, um, the Nathaldra people are based off of an existing group of indigenous people, the Mm -hmm. Sami people. So Mm -hmm. I'm not Sami, so I can't personally, you know, say like, oh yeah, they did great. Um, I did speak to... um, I'm going to use his full title here. Mm. I have it written yeah. down. Okay, so uh, Sami activist and vice president of the Sami Council, his name is Asla Kohlberg. Mm-hmm. I actually um, talked to him when I was in Finland mm. because he's Sami. And uh, he and members of Elos Detnu were this group that were organizing this moratorium in 2017 that opposed the Dano River Fishery Agreement in northern Finland. Mm-hmm. So basically, the Finnish government was trying to deny uh, salmon fishing rights on Sami territory. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, you know, an activist at that time. So he was on like a, a council, you know, Sami council. Mm-hmm. He also did the voice because Disney did a Sami dub of yes, Frozen 2, yeah, and he did yeah. he did the voice of the dad, the Alfred Molina. No way! So oh, it's him. What a legacy. <laughs> but he said, you know, he's biased, of course, because he worked on the film, but he said that the Sami people were very much involved with uh, the representation of the Nathalja people, mm-hmm. and overall, you know, he did like it. I've got other, because I asked other Sami people on the AILA test what they thought about it, mm-hmm. and it's been kind of a mixed bag, you know, there's elements that they didn't like so much, and then lots that they did. My personal take, uh, you kind of run the risk of when uh, you create a new tribe of people, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. of like, for example, you know, there's this one video game, I forgot what it's called, but they made up a completely different Native American tribe. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, you couldn't just use an existing one to tell your story. Right. right. But that's because it was set in America. Frozen, not so much. It's like, oh, it's this magical territory and it's not real. So we can create people who exist within it and there's enough similarities where you kind of know what we're talking about but you're not doing like the twilight pocahontas thing where you take an existing group of people and being like oh they're magical Mm -hmm. oh they control the elements and stuff it's like no the kwailu people do not turn into werewolves (laughs) you know (laughs) The, the sami people do not you know work with giant rock monsters and uh, fire spirits and stuff, mm-hmm. but the Northalder right. people can. And uh-huh. I like that the Northalder people were still just people. They just knew how to interact with the land. Right. Mm-hmm. So that I felt was more respectful to what indigenous people are because we're not mythical, magical creatures. You know what I mean? We just have a connection to 
the land and the territory because it's a part of us. Mm -hmm. It's not just we're not on top and then the animals are beneath and then, you know, so on and so forth. It's, you know, a web of connection Mm -hmm. and we have our place within the ecosystem and within this world. So that's better than, you know, oh, I'm, you know. (laughs) Right. And the only person who is, is Elsa. And that, that works mm-hmm. out because she's just, you know, special. It's not because, oh, I have this power because I'm Nathaldra. It's like, no, it's because you're... She's an outlier. Yeah. 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 Hollywood has a long and troubling history of ascribing magic and mysticism to non-white people in a way that has really negative connotations. Yeah. For example, there's the magical Negro trope, there's like the mystic Asian trope, there's like mystic uh, indigenous tropes, there's like all of these things that we've seen again and again in so many different movies. So, yeah. And by and large mag- like the, the magic is being used to assist a white character or to somehow aid their storyline. And to other the non-white mm-hmm. character or characters. And I think uh, the only real complaint that I would have isn't necessarily the nostalgia people. Some people say that they wish that the women would have had a bit more agency, which mm-hmm. I think is fair. Kristoff, who is an indigenous person as well, I feel was kind of a missed opportunity as a Sami character. The Nathaldra mm-hmm. based off of the Sami, but Kristoff in the script is described as a Sami boy. As mm-hmm. specifically Sami, okay. Yeah, and it's like they could have done more than just oh he's sami he likes reindeer right Mm -hmm. okay you know but like i don't expect them to go into like a deep you know like basically turning the sami people into like a costume like they did with pocahontas Mm -hmm. essentially Mm -hmm. but you know it would have been nice when Anna discovers that she's indigenous as well, that she and Kristoff could have bonded over something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that was a missed opportunity where I'm glad that they kind of cut Kristoff out of the movie because it is predominantly Elsa's story as it should be. Mm -hmm. But it's like, man, they could have really, you know, talked about this and bonded over that. And it's like, obviously, Anna must have had some insecurities given her last boyfriend and what he tried to do Mm -hmm. so i don't (laughs) know if there's any reason to fall in love with someone you know and actually bond enough to marry them it could probably be over that shared experience and you know i i think it would have been nice i think for the audience like as well to be kind of reminded that uh Kristoff is an indigenous person because I think that like there is not a lot of work done to really tell you that in in a movie that is constantly reminding you what happened in the last movie uh in a way that is is (laughs) not always helpful that would have been a helpful thing to be reminded of and again yeah like 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 you're saying is something that could be you know, a very valuable bond for them when there is kind of something left to be desired for like, why are we talking about their impending engagement that we know is going to happen at, by the end of the movie right. so much? Like that would have been a really good element. I guess one, one thing that I, I I would love your perspective on and because I was just sort of, hmm, um, I do wish that the North Aldrin people that we meet had more to do and had uh, deeper 
characterization because for characters that are introduced and they are I think a hundred percent played by white actors right which again mm-hmm. is uh not, I mean why right especially when they had hired several consultants yeah right. um Sammy consultants who maybe they weren't trained actors but they could go and find some trained actors yeah. to cast yeah. in those roles. Um, but but even on top of that, I, I think that most of the North Aldrin characters we meet are there in a very surface kind of way where I felt like for the most part, especially with Ryder and Honey Marin, that they were mostly there to just give information and encouragement to a character that we already know. So like Ryder is like, what's up? Oh, you have a romantic conflict? Let me be in a scene about that. And then he's in mm-hmm. a scene about that and then he's kind of gone. And then Honey Marin gives Elsa, I think, I mean, it's a it's a cool scene between the two of them that definitely pushes Elsa's character forward. But I just wish that we knew more about her and that she didn't just exist in proximity to Elsa. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. You also see a character whose name is Yelena. She seems yes. to be, I think, the leader. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the matriarch, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, she's. I think she's like the. This is a matriarchal society mm-hmm. because it seems to be implied that she is the leader. She is uh, voiced by white actor Martha Plimpton. Yes. But she, yeah, she she isn't given much to do either, aside from kind of just delivering some exposition here and there because it doesn't i don't even remember seeing her in the flashback scene so it's not even like you know she was yeah. you know specifically shown like um is his name matthias or matthias um matthias matthias it could be anything I forgot. another <laughs> character who we learned nothing about then yeah yeah because she isn't shown really in the flashback scene that i remember so it's not like you know they could have drawn back on that and given her a bit more to do. But. Yeah, couldn't she have been there during that attack that was instigated by the Arendellian people? And, like, couldn't she offer some perspective on it? Like, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, we don't see anything Yeah, like that. I was hoping that, they, I mean, again, it just seems like a missed opportunity where having those characters there is so much more than your average Disney movie is going to do. It's such a valuable opportunity to give them the opportunity to provide their own perspectives in text. But most of what we learn has to like appears in like snow flashback. And I feel like in a movie where there's a lot (laughs) of snow flashbacks, why not just let them share their own history? Like why could Yelena not be more meaningfully involved Mm -hmm. in, in I guess educate, like giving Elsa this education that she so you know is is so desperately wanting they kind of touched on that like a little bit Mm -hmm. and i do appreciate that when elsa does bond with the nostalgia people it is specifically with the women Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like at the end she's holding honey Marin's hand but she's holding elena's hand and you know i think they kind of like gave that impression but i wish they would have given us more yeah yeah (laughs) it made it more juicy (laughs) I just, but yeah, because it's, it's, I, I don't think that the North Aldrin characters fall into the Disney tropes that we are, I mean, honestly, kind of expecting them to fall into, but there's still, I just wish that, yeah, they had like a fully realized 
character and I mean like none of the, none of those three characters really have an arc they don't I mean that we are able Mm-mm. to track at least right yeah I also wanted to say really quickly because I was looking into the updated uh, queer readings of Elsa and Jennifer Lee, in fact, addressed this because there was, and I think we talked about this on our first Frozen episode, there was a huge fan movement and like a million petitions to explicitly acknowledge Elsa as a queer character. It was a gigantic, millions of people were involved. I remember that. I think (laughs) I I signed the petition. I don't remember. Uh, (laughs) But in any case, it... It was such a large response that Jennifer Lee, the who wrote and uh, co-directed this movie, mm-hmm. had to acknowledge it. And so she told a New York Times writer that the reason she doesn't explicitly say that Elsa is a queer character in this movie, and this is wild, she says that she has put every Frozen character through the Myers-Briggs test and, quote, it really came out that Elsa is not ready for a relationship, unquote. So she, like, galaxy-brained <laughs> av- avoiding the fact that Disney just does, like, is is deeply unable to acknowledge any non-heterosexuality. Mm-hmm. But the I was like, the Myers-Briggs test? I just was like, my God, Jennifer Lee. Strange. <laughs> Stretch further. I wonder if people ship Honey Marin and Elsa because they have a little scene together. You shipped them, yes? <laughs> yes, I do. Because <laughs> they have that like tender scene together yeah. where they like both sing the lullaby and it was really beautiful. Frozen yeah. 3, let's learn more about Honey Marin and Ryder and Yelena. Specific, I mean, yeah. everyone, but I'm like, Honey Marin and Yelena, I want to know more about them. I agree. Well, it would it would seem as though the reason that unlike other Disney properties and unlike other Hollywood films in general, the treatment of indigenous people is, again, normally abhorrent. It would seem as though in this movie it is handled more responsibly and respectfully because even unlike the first Frozen movie, the filmmakers of Frozen 2 hired a few Sami people as consultants on the right. film. We've already heard uh, one of their perspectives, which is wonderful. Yes. Um, it seems by all the accounts that I found, the Sami people found that it was a positive collaboration. They were happy with how the movie turned out. There was some level of dissatisfaction with how indigenous culture was represented in the first Frozen movie and um, that the Sami people felt that there was course correction there. And this is relatively new, I mean, very new for Disney to actually do their homework on portraying cultures that are not straight up dominant uh, white American Disney culture that I, I think I remember hearing about it most recently in regards to Moana as well. There there was an entire advisory council formed to make that movie. It seemed like with generally positive results. I know that people have that notes, but like generally positive for, for a Disney movie. And it's mm-hmm. so, I mean, it is still frustrating to see that it's it's mostly, you know, like white executives that are on the other side 
of these advisory boards and the fact that there is still such little progress on, um, you know, making even even though it's a very positive thing that, you know, Frozen 2 is, you know, portraying indigenous culture and like really making strides and attempts to course correct on mistakes they've made. It's still, you know, a overwhelmingly white crew on this movie is certainly Mm -hmm. an overwhelmingly white cast Mm -hmm. on this movie. And it's I mean, Still work to be done, for sure. I actually have a quote, too. So um, so Slate.com writer, I think his name is, uh, I'm going to destroy your name, sir. I'm <laughs> sorry. It's Inko Kang, I think. Mm-hmm. Inko Kang. He compliments and criticizes the film's depiction of reparations, specifically. Mm-hmm. He said, we have so few fictional portrayals of what post-colonial restitution looks like that we should be careful of how we depict it. But he also said that it's admirable that Buck and Lee even attempted a story like this. And even though it could have used a little more thinking through introducing the concept of nationalist myth-making to children, Mm -hmm. particularly in a princess movie that the general public has no expectations for, other than to sell even more Elsa and Olaf dolls this holiday season is pretty commendable. And Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, for sure, you know, it could have used a little bit more, I guess, thinking through, like he said. Mm-hmm. But then you have to wonder how many people, probably the higher ups, are like, no, you don't get to say that. No, that's way too much, right. you know. Right. We don't want to change anybody's minds. <laughs> we just want to. That's too far. Sell product. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's take another quick break and then we'll come right back. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Me! Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. I'm I'm curious, Allie, on your take on this, which is that, so the North Aldra people, they're designed to, I mean, I think they are distinctly not white in their design. Right. Now, we find out that Anna and Elsa are half North Aldra. They look... White. Very, <laughs> very, very white. And while it is, I think, positive that in the canon now, they are half Northaldra, um, children watching this movie know that these characters who they know and love uh, now have the knowledge that they are indigenous. 
Um, I think, though, it's so helpful to see visibility on screen, Mm -hmm. especially of main characters, the characters who you have the dolls of, the characters who you have the posters of, all that, all all that, for them to, you know, like, the characters are so designed to look such, like, Western beauty standard, blonde, blue-eyed, very fair skin in their aesthetic. And... I guess it just it's, would be nice to see more visibility and representation on screen of characters who don't look like that. Right. It's very clear that this was, and I think some of the criticism around this that I think is pretty well placed is that like the decision for Elsa and Anna to have indigenous roots was made between the first and second movies. This is not in the foundation of this story. Right. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a retcon in a way. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because I think I remember, I don't know if this is like unfounded or not, but I remember there were rumors circulating that originally Frozen 2 was supposed to be uh, Sami-centered, I guess. Like the characters were supposed to be Sami mm-hmm. and then they changed it because I, I don't know if... It's Tumblr, so who knows how true it is. <laughs> but uh, but I, I do remember some discourse surrounding that. So I think this was almost like, oh, well, let's try to do that again this time. But, you know, how do we do that? And uh, But at the same time, you know, while I agree, I'm like, you know, we have a billion white princesses, not mm-hmm. just in Disney, but in, like, all kinds of media, it would be nice to see, you know, someone who wasn't blonde-haired, blue-eyed, pale skin. But um, I don't think uh, I've seen too many stories where the white-passing indigenous person, you know, is actually given a story about reconnection and, you know, finding that culture and mm-hmm. that identity again. So I do appreciate that. Sure. And, you know, there was obviously thought put into it. It wasn't like, oh, a long time ago, this relative that I don't know was Nathaldra. Right. So I am Nathaldra. She's 116th Nathaldra. Right. So I do. Um, and I think it's also, you know, like with Sami people and really, you know, the Arctic region of indigenous peoples there are many different skin tones. So there are lots of very fair complected Sami people mm-hmm. like Asla Kohlberg, you know, unless mm-hmm. you knew him personally or knew of him, you probably just would have assumed he was Finnish just mm-hmm. from his complexion and his hair color and whatnot, uh, as opposed to Inupiat or Inuit people, you know, mm-hmm. who are very clearly, you know, a little bit darker, but still lighter skin because of the region. Mm-hmm. So I definitely to an extent, you know, by that, the mom, I think her name is Iduna. I'm going to pronounce that name wrong. I think it's Iduna. But the mother, you know, being lighter complected, but still being Nathaldra, Mm -hmm. but looking a little bit different from the other ones, you know, and then Mm -hmm. marrying a white man and having biracial children, Mm -hmm. you know, I can understand why Anna and Elsa wouldn't look as ethnic, also, you know, not to get too deep because it is Disney, but genetics sometimes skip. <laughs> like, <laughs> skip a generation. Well, I mean, my dad is very dark and mm-hmm. me and my sisters are not. And then my sister had her daughter who is 
darker than us and is very clearly mm-hmm. Indian. Mm-hmm. And so like, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> She's like one eighth and looks more like dad's daughter than we do. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> so, but I think I'd have to watch the movie again to see if there are other nostalgia people of various shades, I guess, and various skin tones. Because that also happens too, you know, right. within the community. Mm-hmm. I was very, I mean, in, in researching this, I mean, I have learned a lot in the past couple of days. I honestly was um, not aware of any history of the Sami people before I started doing the research for this episode. And the more I learned, the more impressed with the movie I became. Because I think I was also sort of I'm like, are they completely fucking this up or do I just not know <laughs> enough about the the cultures that they're referencing but but learning about um the elements of Sami culture that they're referencing down to and we referenced this a little bit earlier but even the presence of a dam a colonial dam mm-hmm. is I mean I couldn't find an explicit like you know a, someone from the production confirming this but I'm guessing that it is referencing a uh, controversy that took place between the Sami people and the Norwegian government in the late 70s, early 80s. It's called the Mm. Alta controversy, where basically the Norwegian government said, we're going to build a hydroelectric power dam, like a power plant um, that was going Mm -hmm. to affect um, indigenous Sami land. There was a huge conflict. Um, There was like sustained protests. There was violence. And the Sami people ended up losing that battle. That hydroelectric dam exists. And I, I thought it was really like, I learned something, which is great. And also just um, that was more, again, it's just more than I would ever expect from a Disney movie to mm-hmm. make such a clear, recent historical reference about, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it, it isn't like, oh, this is something that happened a long time ago, but it doesn't happen now. They're referencing something that has happened in, you know, the lifespans of, of most parents who are seeing this movie. Mm-hmm. And seeing that, I, I mean, and learning that, I thought was, I was very impressed. I thought it was really uh, interesting. And then the clear, uh, I didn't know that they were clear, but it is clear, uh, references to the mythology connected to these cultures, that there is a a clear precedent for the horse character, like that is rooted in Norse mythology, and that's, you know, and and Ali, you probably know more than me, because you've spent time in this region, Uh, but like there was a precedent for that, the name Iduna uh, is like a, a Norse mythological name for the goddess of health, and just they there were like Mm. details that i you know never would have known but upon investigation that there there's also like a mythological precedent uh precedent oh my god word precedent Precedent. (laughs) 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 for for the stone giants that is something that's also present in mythology and yeah especially comparing it to this is like i don't know why i felt the need to go down the rabbit hole of what a shitty dumb movie avatar is the james cameron one but especially i liked it though (laughs) i liked it i'll I'll talk about that another time there i i will i promise i was just like researching i don't i don't i couldn't tell you why but i i was researching how much money that production put into really creating deep lore and really doing its homework in pre-production but in the finished product most of it is 
not there in any way. Like he mm. should have written books. Yeah, he should have mm. pulled a Game of Thrones and written science fiction books, and then waited until the technology was there, and then he could have made like an HBO CGI anthology series or something that's what he should have there is like a star trek amount of lore connected to that movie but they don't use any of it in the movie it's so frustrating but then so much is lost yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i guess they have 500 movies left to rectify that situation but if we ever (laughs) live to see them (laughs) right but i was impressed that frozen 2 um kind of you know in opposition to that does its homework and you and it is very present and it's plot relevant and it's all I I just I don't know I learned a lot and um, also in the music which uh, I there's a really good YouTube channel called Sideways and I I, I love Sideways yeah their work yes. is so good they they um, do videos on usually about score uh, music in film um, and they talk a lot about ethnomusicology and like if a different culture is being represented in a movie, is it present in the movie? They do a great video on how Avatar kind of does not succeed in that, even though they did so much work and then they didn't use any yep. of the work they did. It's uh, a great video. It was, yeah. <laughs> and, and which is another thing that it, it, it seems that Frozen 2 was successful at is um, researching um, Sami music and having it present, if not completely dominant but very present in the score which is great because i love the composers of, of frozen they've e got it they're very impressive they're cool mm. oh, um, congratulations to them good for them i've got two points to make uh um, yeah. yeah based on what you just said so the first one the sami music uh I always found that kind of strange um just that well okay when i first saw the first frozen uh i think it's called Vuali. That mm-hmm. opens up, you know, the na 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 hey na na. So that was like my favorite song in the first Frozen movie, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's a Sami yoik. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's an actual traditional method of singing. And sometimes, to my understanding, this is based off of a video that Sofia Yanok did when she uh, mm-hmm. came to Standing Rock in solidarity. Uh, mm-hmm. She sang a yoik, and she said that it's vocables, so you don't, you aren't actually singing words, you're singing sounds, and it's about the feelings that you have when you sing, so that way other people can join in, and they're not really saying words, they're just joining in with the sound and the music mm-hmm. for healing or for, you know... And it was just strange to me that that is a Sami method of singing. Mm -hmm. They have a Sami character in the movie, Mm -hmm. but the Nathalja people are the ones singing the yoik, and they're not technically Sami, even though they're based off of the Sami. So it's like, I'm I'm glad they tied it in at least because they do sing it, but I'm like, um, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even make that connection. Yeah, that would make far more sense but since you brought up avatar yes uh i'm just gonna touch on it for a second because it does lead to uh another point in frozen 2 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so when i saw avatar i, I loved it mm-hmm. <laughs> but there was one scene in the movie where i was like okay uh this scene can go one of two ways and if it goes one way i hate this movie 
from this point on. And I've been enjoying mm. myself for like two hours. And if this happens, I'm going to be angry. Mm. And it didn't. It went that way. And I kept loving it. <laughs> it was when the white guy tells uh, Zoe Saldana that, mm. you know, they sent me to spy on you guys and screw you over. And she's like, you knew this was going to happen. And then goes to fucking execute him mm -hmm. and like freaks out because in any other movie it would have been like no i love him you guys please listen to him he's mm -hmm. yeah. like this and she's like no you're dying now <laughs> you know what i mean and dale's ex machina he you know survives because he's got plot armor but he <laughs> has to like, prove himself before he can show his face again so at least right. there's that mm -hmm. because if it would have went the other way i would have been very mad because i'm so used <laughs> to that narrative of the indigenous woman falls in love with the white guy betrays her entire nation and you know what i mean it's mm -hmm. like yeah no so in frozen 2 by comparison there's a scene where Anna and Elsa are talking and Anna said, Yelena asked, why would the spirits reward Arendelle with a magical queen? Because our mm. mother saved our father. She saved her enemy. Her good deed was rewarded with you. You are mm -hmm. a gift. And I'm like, at first, I'm like, no, mm -hmm. not a fan of that mindset. You know, and indigenous women deserve better than loving their enemy for the greater good. Because mm -hmm. loving the enemy has not stopped the enemy from killing us. Right. You know, it kind of mm -hmm. goes into that Pocahontas romanticized territory a little bit, sure. you know, oh, yeah. kind of white savior territory too, but, you know, Elsa using her power and privilege to help her community rather than, you know, make excuses and stuff. Mm -hmm. That's a welcome change. But I will say at the beginning of the movie when they're playing, you know, with the snowmen and whatever, and she's like, the uh, kissing won't save the forest. The fairy queen saves the day. Mm -hmm. Right. Yes, kissing did not save the forest. You know, her <laughs> parents loved each other, but their love wasn't enough. You mm -hmm. know, it's like racism and colonialism wasn't solved just because he loved one indigenous woman. And it stayed, you know, the forest was still in danger. The environment was still being ruined. The land was going into chaos. And it doesn't take just loving your enemy to make everything better you have to do the work mm -hmm. and you know the next generation is you know you may not have done it and it might not be your fault but for the better of the world really you know you have to do something about it because sweeping it under the rugs and ignoring history makes everything worse and there was so much that we could go into about how frozen 2 even goes into environmentalism territories as far as its mm. indigenous representation <laughs> but mm -hmm. yeah how long you guys want to stay here <laughs> <laughs> we're we we're down to hear whatever you whatever you have like yeah. there i i hadn't even made that connection that is god damn frozen 2 the yeah, yes, <laughs> that it's building upon clear mistakes that Disney has been huge in perpetuating and then, yeah. you know, at making an attempt to, to course correct and, and do. That's really impressive. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the first lines of the movie, before Alfred Molina says a word. 
wild. Yep, kissing's <laughs> not going to save the forest. It never Blowing up it. a dam is. Princess <laughs> <laughs> oh, Weeks from the Mary Sue, she did a video yeah. on uh, Frozen 2, and she was all like, Anna said indigenous rights blew up a dam. <laughs> Princess <laughs> is one of our favorite people. We just we were just recorded an episode with her last week. Oh, she's awesome. Yeah, I've amazing. been following yeah. her since like early YouTube days. Really? Nice. Alina Pendulum. <laughs> uh, what else? Oh, I guess in regards to um, in the more, I guess, uh, like basic Disney plot that is mm-hmm. present in this movie, I honestly don't love it all there's so much like i know that like elsa and and anna like they have to be together because marketing but every frozen movie really is just like anna get out of the way like (laughs) this is elsa because elsa is the better character (laughs) right like she she is always Mm -hmm. more motivated she always has a greater mission than anna does and so this this movie does it again where elsa's like bye and then just like tosses Anna down a hill and the movie does get better after that but you know whatever <laughs> uh for 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 a franchise that is like sisters 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 they're not together for a lot of this movie and they're but i, I did appreciate how their missions slowly merged like i thought that that was that was mm-hmm. well done and that the way that they basically like receive this accurate history is different they react they have different where it is both like you know they have the holy shit moment of like this is our family's history it is not what we've been told but i did appreciate that they reacted in character which which was cool to see uh I, I, I honestly feel like I know that we need Kristoff to come back because marketing, but like the whole Kristoff <laughs> plotline, like was, yeah. what was that for? Yeah. I didn't even mention this in the recap, but there's a subplot where he is working up the nerve to ask Anna to marry him, um, which fine. it didn't like, necessarily add anything for me. No. I think they just, they're like, well, we need to. You know, he needs a reason to be here, so let's give him <laughs> something to do. Um, what kind of, what bothered me a little bit about this is that every time he is about to ask her, something goes wrong. And I understand that's how storytelling works. <laughs> you need obstacles. But the thing that goes wrong is always that Anna jumps to a weird conclusion that I feel had, like, potentially kind of something gendered there where it was almost like well she's a woman so she's gonna have a wild overreaction about something where for example like when they first arrive in the forest and he says something like oh you know under different circumstances this would actually be a really romantic place and then she says uh different circumstances you mean like if you were here with someone else like she has this like like, weird cheating on jealousy thing (laughs) where it's like what do you where's this coming from anna like and and this happens a few different times where she has this real like almost uh, and i don't this is me maybe just like being a little cynical here but i couldn't help but feel that they were they're like well you know she's she's overreacting because she's woman or something i don't know and i feel like it could have worked a little bit better if they would have reminded us that you know or if she would have said verbally she's like hey i know i'm acting kind of nuts but my last fiance tried to kill me 
you know, right. so I am very, you know, it's like, so maybe I'm not, you know, myself, but we're trying to have romantic moments and I'm like, oh God, what are your motives? Even though, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> so it could have been. <laughs> That's kind of another like missed opportunity too of like, yeah. like Anna would have very like, she, it would make sense for that character to have relationship PTSD. Um, mm-hmm. Right. But it's kind of like, nah, we just kind of want Jonathan Groff to talk to the moose, which is like, I guess like <laughs> it's a reindeer. It's a reindeer. I'm sorry. I kept, uh. I kept getting, cause I, I have spent too much time in Maine. I, <laughs> I wish I could take back every second. Um, but yeah, he, he <laughs> like, you know, it just becomes kind of this like, you know, like him and the reindeer and, and that's the plot. And mm-hmm. I will say, I don't mind that Anna wants a relationship. Like I, it doesn't mm-hmm. bother me that like, I don't think that both of, you know, that every princess needs to not be in a relationship if that's what they want. It's pretty like established with Anna's character that a uh, relationship is part of what her version of fulfillment is. Mm-hmm. I just, it's just the way that this plot is written that you're just, it's kind of dragging out a, a kind of a non-conflict because there was no point in the story where I'm like, she's going to say no. Like I, right. <laughs> the stakes are low. The stakes are very <laughs> low. And then also the one like problem they kind of create for um i keep calling him jonathan groff what's his christoph Christoph. uh is that like he is like concerned and that he is not enough and that like he you know which is like a very real thing to tap into but Mm -hmm. even and he references that in his song where he's like ah am i good enough for her she's so amazing all this stuff but then whatever conclusion he reaches is arrived at off screen because by the, cause he disappears for a huge chunk of the movie and mm-hmm. then he shows up at the end and he's like, I have resolved my personal demons <laughs> off screen uh, and I'm ready to get married and then everything goes fine. It also made me laugh that at the end where either of you, I'm like, maybe I just wasn't paying close enough attention, but she's like at her like, queen coronation ceremony mm-hmm. and she's like surprised that he's there i thought that was so weird where she's i like, think it was that he was dressed up was that okay yeah yeah right because he's like oh you yeah. think he would like really be there <laughs> he's all dressed up but i also like that you know you don't have to assimilate baby i like you better in your leather yeah, oh, she's yeah, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. and he's like ooh. I think, well, when when Christoph is on screen, especially, you know, for whenever he's there in like act two and three, he seems to mostly be um, saving Anna, who needs to be saved three different times in the movie. Um, And this is something we talk about all the time in movies where like women will be damseled and they have to be saved by their, you know, a man or their love interest or something. And I thought we were past all this with the Frozen franchise, but alas, she has to be saved the first time when the like the fire spirit is kind of wreaking havoc and spreading fire around. Kristoff has to grab her and save her. She's saved a second time when she's luring the earth giants toward the dam and they're throwing mm-hmm. their giant boulders and Kristoff comes riding up on Sven and grabs her and saves her. 
And then moments later, she's saved a third time when she's yeah. escaping and almost falls off the dam. And Kristoff and um, Mateus has to, they, bo- they both um, grab her. Which I found kind of frustrating because it was like that, that moment where she's rescued comes right after, I thought, like the most effective moment for her in the entire movie, which is her singing this song like the, about, you know, wanting to do the next right thing. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, a very kind of lazy choice that is constantly made in Disney movies is made right after this kind of felt like a breakthrough moment. So Mm -hmm. that was a, I was kind of bummed about that. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's a little bit of a deviation from what we normally see in that she is the one pushing the story forward and she is the one making the active choices to like destroy the dam. And like, she's the one who's initiating that action Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you know there's destruction as a result which she needs to be saved from but it's like well if she can do the thing can't she also then like save herself or why why was it written so that she has to be rescued several different times and just the idea that like having a relationship is directly tied to a need to be rescued and that which is inherent to every Disney relationship (laughs) of like Mm -hmm. she can't be a fully like autonomous capable person and just like happen to want a relationship i don't know yeah true did you guys know that the film well of course the film is dubbed in sami but have you heard the sami soundtrack for frozen 2 no no it is immaculate and it's on youtube oh (laughs) okay i'm gonna listen to it right after we're done with this that sounds great yeah it is beautiful um i did want to quickly touch on mateus who again voiced by my crush (laughs) sterling k brown (laughs) this feels like a response that the filmmakers got in for the first frozen movie being too white White. (laughs) yes too white so (laughs) they introduce a black character my main issue with that character is it's is is we just again other than the fact that he was present for this event that we already knew about it just seems like a very, and I, I mean, I'm I'm like beyond thrilled that Sterling K. Brown is a part of this cast. But as far as they wrote his character, it just it does seem a little lip servicey on the part of the writers because his presence, like if you if you remove him from the script, mm-hmm. nothing about the story, like nothing changes, other than he provides a little bit of information when they first meet. But I, but it's like his presence is not extremely impactful on this story mm-hmm. Olaf gets more to do than he does <laughs> right uh, yeah I'm not allowed <laughs> to talk about Olaf but I um I didn't hate his song I thought his song was rather cute. I also enjoyed Olaf's song I thought it was a cute one so you know there you go <laughs> um does anyone have any other thoughts about the f- movie I thought that the um I know that I mentioned the environmentalist issues mm-hmm. are element of Frozen 2. And that is something that I thought that the spirits were kind of a metaphor for. I don't think it was just like a magical, you know, thing. I felt like with the creation of the dam and then the attempted genocide of the nostalgia people Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and then sweeping all of that under rugs when you uh ignore an environmentalist 
issue, you know, mm -hmm. when you create pipelines or you create a mine or mm -hmm. build a dam or whatever it is on indigenous territory and then try to act like, you know, oh, nothing's happening. It's all good. You know, things go bad. You know, the earth actually physically starts reacting with fracking, you know, earthquakes happen right. with pipelines. The water, you know, is polluted. The mm -hmm. soil is polluted. So I felt that Elsa interacting with the spirits wasn't necessarily just, you know, oh, look how magical she is. It was healing the environment that is in chaos because of colonialism and because of the dam mm -hmm. and the damage done. So, you know, and like that ties into, again, you know, deforestations in Lapland, mm -hmm. you know, the reindeer dying because yeah. of global warming and things like that, mm -hmm. you know. So even that last scene in Frozen 2 when the fog lifts and the reindeer start running, you mm -hmm. know, that's actually pretty impactful when you realize what's going on you know in the arctic right now everything that greta thunberg and aslak holmberg and sophia yanok and all of them have been really preaching about is really preaching because you know they live in the arctic they know what is at stake and the damage mm -hmm. that's being done and i don't think disney like maybe i'm giving them too much credit i don't think they wanted to go into fern gully territory where they're literally like oh the arendellians try to chop down the trees and stuff and mm -hmm. that's bad it's more like yeah but the magic is out of whack because of something they did so we have to do the right thing mm -hmm. and and the fact that um you know, like doing your homework, especially in a movie like this, is so important in representing indigenous people responsibly because this movie made $1.5 billion. Yeah. Every yeah. child <laughs> sees this movie at one point. Like, it's the highest grossing animated, like, completely animated film of all time. I think the Disney remake of. That's so cool. The live action reboot of Lion King is is higher grossing, but it's like yeah, half yeah. live action, half <laughs> well. not. So it is like kind of in a murky area. But like as far as like a fully animated feature, Frozen Two is the most the highest grossing. Mm -hmm. I was truly sad that Frozen Two, especially with how good it was, wasn't nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, but it didn't end the Spider Verse win. So there you go. <laughs> yes, that was right. that was my favorite movie of that year. I love that movie so much. And just, I mean, I love, I love animation. Like, there, Into the Spider Verse should have been a Best Picture nominee too. It's like yeah. people need to like, especially now that, um, you know, under the present circumstance, let's say the amount of animated projects are going way up. It's like people just need to like let go of whatever this like animation is just for is like you can't tell a sophisticated story with animation. Mm -hmm. Like it's just so demonstrably untrue. Has and, anyone seen um, Moana? Butters need to... I love Moana. Has anyone made... <laughs> it's so Moana should have won. Yes. Moana should have won an Academy Award. Absolutely. Amen. Zootopia won, which was cute, but Moana, come on. Moana was the better film. It was so good. Moana made me cry like 20 times. <laughs> no joke. Oh my gosh. I'm <laughs> never, I'm not, never not crying during Moana. Every, every two seconds, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, any, does anyone have anything else? Is there anything you want to specifically ask me? 
Oh, well, um, what would you recommend, aside from Rhymes for Young Ghouls, what other, because we're always on the lookout for indigenous media, especially when it's, you know, shows positive representations. Are there any other films that you would recommend? So uh, the same filmmaker, Jeff Barnaby, who did Rhymes for Young Ghouls, also came out with this awesome uh, zombie film. Oh, cool. It's on Shutter. It's called Blood Quantum. Okay. And it is a zombie outbreak on an Indian reservation. Ooh. And the natives are immune to the disease. So they can't turn into zombies, but everybody else does. So it's kind of an allegory about colonialism. Huh. Like, should we help you guys again? Because what happened last time we did. You know what I mean? So right. it's your typical, like, I don't want to say your typical zombie movie, but, you know, <laughs> just what you expect from a zombie movie, but with enough of a original twist where it's so good and it is really, really good. That's amazing. That sounds so good. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. And then there's, um, so some of them, they star indigenous uh, actors and characters, but they're not all created by indigenous directors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to specify, like, because an indigenous film would be, you know, the indigenous writer, director, people Mm -hmm. behind the camera as much as in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. So Jeff Barnaby is indigenous, of course, and that's both of those, Rhymes for Young Ghouls and Blood Quantum are legit indigenous films Mm -hmm. but films starring indigenous characters like moana Mm -hmm. uh there's whale rider which is i love it yeah i saw that when it came out yeah yep that's uh maori new zealand indigenous Mm -hmm. people chris Eyre, who is a pretty famous uh native american uh, director Mm -hmm. did edge of america which is about a native american um girls basketball team Mm. and all of them pass the ala test it's like a whole ensemble you know of indigenous native american girls on this basketball team and they all pass that's awesome (laughs) and um empire of dirt okay director's not indigenous Mm -hmm. but it's a movie about three generations of indigenous women the grandmother the mother the daughter and them coming together and healing together and trying to like become a family again and it's so good it's on amazon prime Ooh, okay songs my brother taught me mm-hmm. the that. director's also not indigenous mm-hmm. but the movie takes place on a reservation and it's very good mm-hmm. uh, then there's lilo and stitch which Alisa mm-hmm. yes. mm-hmm. oh. from gargoyles passes the ala test because she's black Indian. Mm, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love Elisa Maza anyways from Gargoyles just because uh, it's not in the past. It's not on a reservation. It's not, you know, in the some made-up fantasy thing. It's just this badass black Native woman living in New York City, interacting with awesome creatures and going on this adventure and just being brave and smart and hot. <laughs> <laughs> top three qualities absolutely <laughs> and actually hang on is it is it over here do i have the book okay this is the sequel to the book but uh rebecca roanhorse wrote she wrote trail of lightning this one is storm of locusts it's the sequel okay. but the, the main character is a monster hunting navajo woman in post-apocalyptic american southwest 
Fuck yeah. Wow. Oh, awesome. That's <laughs> so awesome. cool. Like decolonizing sci-fi. It is amazing. I'm halfway oh, through it. So oh, that's great. <laughs> deeply recommend. Maggie Howski is a badass in every single definition of the word. Hell yeah. <laughs> and as for films that don't pass the test or stories that don't pass the test but yeah. are still like worth checking out, there's a movie called Mina. Mm-hmm. It's the Inuit people meeting the Inu people for the first time. Mm. So there's pre-contact, pre-colonial. So okay. it's this uh, woman who falls... Um, is kidnapped basically mm-hmm. by uh inuit trappers i guess and then you know the story is unusual and unorthodox but it's got enough uh, nuance and complexity where i can overlook the uh, rape scene mm. <laughs> that happened because mm. mm. sure. which is handled better than it was in the uh the revenant by oh, leagues God. i hated that movie uh, yes. If you're going to have a bear in your movie, it should be Paddington. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Gosh. <laughs> well, yeah. Thanks for all these recommendations. We're, oh, for there's sure. A lot to, there's a lot to check out. I'm so excited. And then, of course, Avatar and Korra, you know, because the, <laughs> yeah. the Water Tribe are Inuit-inspired, mm. and I really hope they hire an Inuit actress for the live action series on Netflix. Yeah. If they don't, Please. I'm going to be furious. <laughs> yeah. Please. Please. Can't be Shyamalan again. <laughs> what, a, what a mess. So, does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Yes. yes. A lot. Yes. <laughs> a bunch. A lot. It a does. Lot. The mm-hmm. upside of Frozen movies is they will never struggle with the Bechdel test. That's true. And it passes the ALA test. So. As I was say, yeah. yes. Yes, it does. And then as far as our nipple scale, um, zero to five nipples based on how the movie fares from an intersectional feminist standpoint. Um, I, I, think I, I think I'd give this like, I'm inclined to take a little nippleage off for the fact that Anna has to be saved several times. I think there is opportunity to include the North Aldra people who are not Anna and Elsa more meaningfully. Um, but the fact that you, these characters are given this layer of being indigenous, you know, the discovery that they are half North Aldra is important representation for such a popular lucrative franchise Mm -hmm. so all the children who saw this now and especially indigenous children who saw this they have someone and for you as an adult Allie like you connected so so much with this movie (laughs) that's why representation is so important so there's you know I think there's some pros and cons there's there's some minor weaknesses for this movie but uh i think that it it does pretty well i would give this i think like four nipples i think a lot of to the issues that we had with the first frozen movie that we discussed at length on that episode um i feel like some of those things are still kind of present but i think that they do course correct some of it and the fact that you know it's a story about two sisters who were raised in a European kingdom whose ancestors were colonizers and then them having to answer to the injustices inflicted by those ancestors 
on an indigenous population. And that's an interesting story. But at the same time, I can't help but think that when the first Frozen movie was being made, the creators never had any intention of having Anna or Elsa be biracial indigenous women, which is why they look so white. But like somewhere along the line, some person at Disney went to the creators of Frozen and said, look, we have a diversity quota to fill. Can you do something about that with the Frozen sequel? And they were like, sure, let's retroactively make the main characters half indigenous. That should do the trick. And of course, this is me speculating. I couldn't find anything specific about this one way or the other in my research. But that is what it feels like to me. Even so, I'll give it four nipples because the movie is trying and I'm grading on a curve today. So I'll give one to Anna, one to Elsa, um, one to Honey Marin, and one to Yelena. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with four as well. I think. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because this. I mean, the fact that arguably one of the biggest franchises on the planet prioritized not just representing an indigenous culture, but doing so responsibly um, in a franchise that I would not have expected an attempt like this to, to be made, um, mm-hmm. much less pretty successfully. So I, I think it is pretty like an outlier in the entire Disney catalog. Um, and I want to give credit where credit is due there. Um, but yeah, docking for like, I, I guess maybe like 3.75 to 4. This is, I mean, the nipple scale is the most important thing in the entire world, obviously. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm fluctuating between like a 3.5 and, and a 4 because we do still have basically that I have like my problems with it are kind of unchanged from the first movie where it's still I mean we still have a an overwhelmingly uh white behind the camera team it is I I think it is still like a very uh positive thing that um Jennifer Lee is the writer and director of that in animation uh, a woman um even if it is a, a you know a, a white lady that still has a lot to learn uh, mm. it is in animation partic- particularly a no small deal um as we learned in our brave episode where the female director was kicked off the film uh yeah. so so I, I i still think that that's very impressive but the um having white actors voice indigenous characters is i mean in 2019 there's really you don't have a leg to stand on in terms of mm-hmm. uh defending that choice that would have been truly just so easy not to make and then and then yeah i mean i guess the the christoph storyline is kind of a little bit unnecessary even though mm-hmm. i just wish that they had uh, I liked what you suggested, Ali, far more of like Kristoff and Anna connecting on a shared culture versus just like, I have to ask her to get married, even though she's definitely going to say yes. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> why is he so nervous about it? <laughs> a very basic, like a kind of a weirdly basic plot point in a very complex movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do wish that um, the indigenous characters who we meet had more of an arc um, and had more to do because there was space for that in in the movie. But by and large, I was like really, really, really impressed with um, what this movie pulled off successfully. And I guess I guess I'll I'll, I'll, I'll match you at four three point seven five. I feel mean. Oh. Uh, I'm horrible. <laughs> no, uh, one one two um, Honey Marin, one two Yelena. 
uh, one to Elsa, and then point seven five to Anna because <laughs> she gets rescued too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna have to say four as well. Just yeah. uh, the only reason, well, of course I'm biased because it just I loved it so much. But mm-hmm. for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, um, to have Sami people as consultants is good, but I feel like there should have been more as far as like behind the camera uh and in the voice acting studio for sure mm-hmm. but uh overall i think that compared to the likes of pocahontas and other oh, indigenous films miles ahead <laughs> yes uh and other indigenous princesses and characters that are in predominantly white studios mm-hmm. no it's frozen 2 certainly wasn't the worst and it surprised me. It truly surprised me. I didn't expect anything deeper, you know, mm-hmm. but it was wonderful. And uh, I give it four. Anna's not getting anything. <laughs> so I'm going to give it to Elsa, Yelena, Kristoff, just because he's Sami, and then Mateus. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Anna doesn't get anything. Goodbye. Nothing for Anna. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for, for joining us, for being here. Where can people find you online? Is there anything else you'd like to plug? Uh, your Tumblr, for example, in which you uh, have all the information about the ALA test, all that stuff. Yep, so the ALA test on Tumblr, and then I'm also Allie Nadi on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, oh yes. thank you. Come, Please come back come another back time. For, like any Anytime you want. We'd love to have you back. This is like this was so much fun. Yes. Yeah. And if you guys ever do want to do like a, a Pocahontas video, I absolutely recommend a Little Red Nacho on Twitter because she yeah. is from the tribe, uh, the Mataponi, I think is how you say it, tribe. Oh, wow. Mataponi tribe. So she knows about like the actual history and the oral traditions and stuff like that. So. Yeah. She'd be a great guest for if we did when we do a, a Pocahontas episode. So absolutely. Yeah. Th- <laughs> thanks for that, Rec. Mm-hmm. As far as our stuff, you can follow us at Bechtelcast on Twitter and Instagram. Sure We've got our um, Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon, patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. It's $5 a month, and it gets you two bonus episodes every month, plus access to our entire back catalog. Which is, I think, like 70 episodes now? Yes, yeah. I've, I don't know how time works, but it's been, <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot of episodes. Indeed. Uh, you, can gra- you can grab some merch if you'd like over at tpublic.com slash the Bechtel cast and uh we'll catch you next week gang what is a fun i'm like what's a quote from this well movie? after this episode we are about to go back into the unknown no! <laughs> yeah <laughs> bye Bye-bye. our kids have said to us since we moved to minnesota we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. 
Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.